that was this very short phrase in the statement. He said that journalism is not sedition. Well, I agree with that. Journalism is not sedition. Another blow to press freedom in Hong Kong. It's Friday, December 31st, and this is VOA Asia. I'm Jessica Stone in Washington. You'll also find us online at VOA Asia Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and YouTube. Also ahead, Chinese find freedoms in Australia, recalling an active year on Capitol Hill. Another vaccine warning from the World Health Organization. A space telescope comes home, and a spontaneous orchestra brings holiday cheer. It's all on today's VOA Asia. Hong Kong's chief executive is defending the arrest and charging of two senior media editors accused of conspiracy to publish seditious materials. More than 200 police officers raided the office of Stand News on Wednesday, seizing phones, computers, documents and thousands of dollars. Its acting editor-in-chief, Patrick Lam, was brought handcuffed to the headquarters during the search. Court documents show that a former editor-in-chief was also charged. Both were denied bail. Authorities also froze the newspaper's assets, prompting it to shut down hours later. U.S. Secretary of State Antony Blinken has criticized the police action, saying it undermines Hong Kong's credibility and viability. Here's how Chief Executive Carrie Lam responded. Uh, That was this very short phrase in the statement. He said that journalism is not sedition. Well, I agree with that. Journalism is not sedition. But seditious acts and activities and inciting uh, other people through public acts and activities could not be condoned under the guise of news reporting. China has tightened its control of Hong Kong since massive and sometimes violent pro-democracy protests engulfed the city in 2019. And suppression of the local press has also ramped up. Chinese Foreign Ministry spokesman Zhao Lijian discussed the arrests at a briefing Thursday. Hong Kong is a society governed by the rule of law, he said. The legitimate rights and freedom of Hong Kong residents, including freedom of the press and freedom of expression, are fully protected under the law. However, freedom of the press and freedom of expression cannot be used as a shield for criminal acts. The laws of China and the HKSAR must be strictly observed. Those who violate the law must bear the legal consequences. Four former members of the Stand News Board, including former Democratic legislator Margaret Ng and pop singer Denise Ho, have yet to be charged. They were released on bail Thursday. Indian police have arrested a Hindu religious leader for allegedly making a derogatory speech against India's independence leader, Mohandas Gandhi, and praising his assassin. Mahatma Gandhi was shot dead by a Hindu extremist during a prayer meeting in the Indian capital in 1948. Gandhi was considered sympathetic toward Muslims during the partition of the Indian subcontinent by British colonialists in 1947. Kalicharan Maharaj was arrested in central Madhya Pradesh state on Thursday for allegedly promoting hatred between religious groups in a speech earlier this week. He will be formally charged in court after the police complete an investigation. If convicted, he can be jailed up to five years. We invite you to read more in our top story by following our Twitter stream at VOA Asia. We're also on Facebook, VOA Asia, and the VOANews.com website. These are among the top Asia headlines you'll find right now on VOANews.com. For how long will North Korea sustain lockdown? Myanmar court jails celebrities who supported democracy protests. Beijing planned advisory for Macau seen as bringing China into Macau security affairs. UN Security Council condemns Myanmar massacre. China slams U.S. over space station's close encounters with SpaceX satellites. 
Expanded coverage of these stories and more are on Facebook at VOA Asia, Instagram, Twitter, and on the VOANews.com website. VOA Asia continues. More than half a million people from mainland China and Hong Kong are now living in Australia, drawn to the country to work, study and live in a different political and economic environment. VOA's Elizabeth Lee has more. Many people from mainland China and Hong Kong have found a haven south of the equator in Australia to work, study and seek refuge. Australia is extremely beautiful, multicultural democracy. Originally from China, Feng Chongyi is a university professor in Sydney. In 2020, China's state media Global Times accused him of being an Australian spy, alluding to a 2017 trip back to China when Feng was questioned by authorities. Feng refutes the accusation and told the South China Morning Post it's part of China's propaganda machine. He describes Australia as a paradise for intellectual freedom. The 1980s generation, like me, were blown up to believe in democracy. In 1989, he witnessed Beijing's violent crackdown on the pro-democracy student movement at Tiananmen Square. I came here to escape China. Fatima Abdul Ghaffur also left China to seek freedom. She was born in the place she knows as East Turkestan. China calls it Xinjiang. But when I left China, it's definitely because I saw I could be forever a slave. She is alluding to China's treatment of the Muslim Uyghur minority group where human rights groups say more than one million Uyghurs have been detained in camps. My father was also taken to the camp. My brother was taken to the camp. Abdul Ghaffur says her father died in a camp. Marriage brought her to Australia after she lived in the U.S. More than 650,000 Chinese-born immigrants live in Australia, making them the third most populous group behind people from England and India. That does not include people from Taiwan or Hong Kong who also live in cities such as Sydney. Many are too afraid to speak to VOA. Because they, they do have very strong leverage. Leverage. Their family members are still in China. They are, they, they are scared. For Hong Kong residents, Australia will provide pathways to permanent residency beginning next March. The new programs stem from an Australian commitment to Hong Kong shortly after Beijing implemented the national security law. The security law was a response to the 2019 pro-democracy protests, but critics say it limits free speech. Chinese state media says the law is aimed at protecting citizens. Professor Feng Chongyi says over the years in Sydney, he's seen differences of attitudes between older members of the Chinese diaspora who support more Western views and the more recent Chinese immigrants who express strong patriotic views about their home country. In 2008, it's a change. It's to the opposite. The Chinese students and Chinese immigrants again come out on the street, but this time to support Chinese government and splash the Chinese democracy movement. But that may be part of the allure of Australia for immigrants like Feng Chongyi 
and Fatima Abdul Ghafur. It offers freedom for people to openly express their views. Elizabeth Lee, VOA News. Protesters set fire to the entrance of Australia's old Parliament House in Canberra on Thursday during a demonstration for Aboriginal sovereignty. Eyewitness video showed black smoke billowing from the entrance of the building. The fire engulfed the front doors before it was put out. No one was injured during the incident. Australian Capital Territory Police had agreed to what was supposed to have been a small smoking ceremony by protesters, but according to ACT Police Commander Linda Champion, it had gotten a little bit out of hand. North Korea on Thursday urged its 1.2 million troops to unite behind leader Kim Jong-un and defend him with their lives, as the country celebrated the 10th anniversary of Kim's ascension to supreme commander of the military. The anniversary comes as North Korea is holding a key multi-day political conference in which officials are expected to discuss how to address difficulties brought by the pandemic and long-dormant diplomacy with the United States. In a lengthy editorial, the official Rodong Sinmun newspaper said that North Korea's military commanders and soldiers must become an impregnable fortress and bulletproof walls in devotedly defending Kim with their lives. It also called for building a more modernized, advanced military that serves as a reliable guardian of our state and people. The editorial said all of North Korea's troops and people must uphold Kim's leadership to establish a powerful socialist country. Still ahead on VOA Asia, looking at Capitol Hill from insurrection to impeachment. Happening now in Asia. Human rights groups are calling on U.S. President Joe Biden to appoint a special envoy for North Korean human rights, a position that has been vacant since January 2017. The North Korean Human Rights Act of 2004 directs the U.S. president to name a person for the role subject to Senate confirmation. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. So happy you've joined us here on VOA Asia. U.S. President Joe Biden spoke with Russian President Vladimir Putin Thursday as Washington continues to work with allies on a common response to Russia's military buildup on the Ukraine border. National Security Council spokesperson Emily Horn said in a statement that Biden had spoken with leaders across Europe about the situation on the Ukraine border. Moscow has alarmed the West by amassing tens of thousands of troops near Ukraine in the past two months, following its seizure of Ukraine's Crimea Peninsula in 2014 and its backing of separatist fighting Kyiv troops in eastern Ukraine. From insurrection and impeachment to infrastructure and COVID relief funding, 2021 was one of the most significant years on Capitol Hill in decades. Lawmakers had to deal with the impact of a global pandemic while trying to pass an ambitious legislative agenda during the first year of a new presidency. VOA's congressional correspondent Catherine Gibson has more on a historic year in the U.S. Congress. January 6, 2021. A single day that set the course for the entire year in the U.S. Congress. Supporters of then-President Donald Trump storming the U.S. Capitol to overturn the results of the 2020 election. The first breach of the building in two centuries. To see folks, American citizens, uh, take to their capital and, and, and 
break in and, and try to disrupt what we have always assumed to be a peaceful transfer of power was just kind of a, a an eye-opening moment for a lot of us who study this and, and see this and, and for everyday Americans who just probably thought this can never happen here, right? We see this abroad, we see this in emerging and failing democracies, but we don't see it here. The events of that day led to an unprecedented second impeachment of Trump but the Senate in February would acquit him of a single charge of incitement of insurrection. Donald John Trump be, and he is hereby acquitted. Meanwhile, in the southern state of Georgia, two special Senate elections gave Democrats control of Congress with the narrowest of margins. There was bipartisan support for billions in aid addressing the economic and health crises caused by the coronavirus. Well, the amount of, uh, of, of uh, the breadth and scope of these bills was a huge accomplishment and they did it fast under circumstances where not a lot of them were, were in D.C. because of the pandemic. Senate Democrats did not have the 60 votes needed to overcome a Republican filibuster of their ambitious legislation on gun control, immigration, and on voting rights, an issue many advocates said should lead to a change in Senate rules. For any uh, piece of legislation to pass under normal order, under regular order, it requires 60 votes instead of the traditional Democratic 50 plus one votes. So unless the United States gets rid of the filibuster, or at least gets rid of the filibuster for constitutional type um, laws or rights um, that it's trying to pass, it's going to be very hard for um, the U.S. Senate to actually pass meaningful um, legislation to make it easier to vote, to make sure that um, the right to vote is upheld. Hello, Detroit. President Biden's Build Back Better agenda did make some progress. The White House negotiated and Congress passed a bipartisan $1.2 trillion infrastructure bill in November. It then raced to pass an even bigger social spending bill addressing climate change and expanding access to health care and child care. But Republicans oppose the social spending bill, saying it is too expensive and will trigger even more inflation. Democrats vow to press ahead. The number one argument for, for voters that are maybe passively paying attention is that Democrats can get things done. And and even if Republicans stand in their way or or uh, obstruct or don't even give them any votes, that they are willing to take the, the votes necessary all within their own party to invest, to make uh, investments that have been, for their, for their argument, delayed for far too long. The social spending bill is the last major legislative attempt for Democratic lawmakers as the U.S. Congress turns its attention to campaigning for the midterm elections in 2022. Catherine Gibson, VOA News, Washington. You can read and see more on this story and many others at VOA Asia Facebook. VOA Asia Facebook is the choice of millions to see and read the latest stories about Asia and the United States. Follow us on VOA Asia Facebook and say hello online or on your smartphone. Subscribe to all of our platforms for free. See, hear, and read and share all of the latest from VOA Asia anytime. VOA Asia is your trusted source for news and great features.
Happening now in Asia, police say six suspected rebels and an Indian soldier were killed in two separate counterinsurgency operations in disputed Kashmir Thursday. The killings came during a surge in the government's offensive against anti-India rebels in Kashmir, which is divided between nuclear-armed India and Pakistan. All the big stories coming your way throughout the day on VOA Asia, Twitter and Facebook. This is VOA Asia. VOA Asia continues. The World Health Organization warns that the rapid dual circulation of Omicron and the Delta variants of the coronavirus is leading to a tsunami of cases around the world, as well as a surge of deaths among the unvaccinated. VOA's Lisa Schlein reports from Geneva. WHO Director General Tedros Adhanom Ghebreyesus says while science had led to the development of COVID-19 vaccines, the global death toll from the disease keeps rising. In 2020, the World Health Organization reported 1.8 million deaths globally, a number that pales in comparison to the additional 3.5 million deaths reported in 2021. Tedro says the reason for the climb is that politics too often trumps the need to work together to defeat this pandemic. Populism, narrow nationalism, and hoarding of health tools, including masks, therapeutics, diagnostics, and vaccines by a small number of countries undermined equity and created the ideal conditions for the emergence of new variants. Tedros condemns the misinformation and disinformation that often is spread by a small number of people for undermining science and trust in life-saving health tools. He says these twin evils are driving vaccine hesitancy and are to blame for the disproportionately large number of unvaccinated people dying from the Delta and Omicron strains of the coronavirus. The virus that causes COVID-19 will continue to evolve and threaten the health system if nations do not improve their collective response. He says it is time to rise above short-term nationalism and protect populations and economies against future variants by addressing global vaccine inequity. Ending health inequity remains the key to ending the pandemic. As this pandemic drags on, It's possible that new variants could evade our countermeasures and become fully resistant to current vaccines or past infection necessitating vaccine adaptations. The WHO chief says it is time to banish the politics of populism and self-interests are derailing the global response to the pandemic. As 2021 reaches its end, Tedros is asking everyone to make a New Year's resolution to get behind WHO's campaign to vaccinate 70% of the world's population by the middle of 2022. Lisa Schlein for VOA News, Geneva. Beginning Saturday, trade barriers between most countries in the Asia-Pacific will be lowered significantly as the world's largest free trading bloc opens for business. The Regional Comprehensive Economic Partnership, or RCEP, is a trade deal between 10 Southeast Asian nations, plus China, Japan, South Korea, Australia, and New Zealand. It covers nearly a third of the world's population, some 2.2 billion people. Under RCEP, around 90% of trade tariffs within the bloc will eventually be eliminated. Interregional trade, already worth $2.3 trillion, will receive a boost, just as countries in the Asia-Pacific try to recover from the COVID-19 pandemic. 
making headlines in Asia. An Indonesian Navy ship on Thursday towed a boat carrying 120 Rohingya Muslims into port. Efforts to rescue its passengers, who are overwhelmingly women and children, began after Indonesia's government on Wednesday said it would allow them to dock because conditions on the boat were so bad. Stay up to date with VOA. You're listening to VOA Asia. Now on VOA Asia. As the James Webb Space Telescope travels to its home in space, it is conducting a series of steps to deploy critical segments of the spacecraft. Rick Pantaleo has more in today's science in a minute. The James Webb Space Telescope continues its voyage to its home in space after its successful Christmas morning launch from French Guiana. Webb is heading toward what is known as the second Lagrange point, or L2, which is about 1.5 million kilometers from Earth opposite the direction of the Sun. According to NASA, Lagrange points are areas in space where the gravity of the Sun and Earth balance the orbital motion of a satellite. As it travels through space, Webb is going through a series of steps where critical segments of the space telescope, such as its sun shield and its primary and secondary mirrors, are deployed. The JWST is expected to reach its space home toward the end of January. You can track the space telescope on the Webb Internet page at web.nasa.gov. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. A long pandemic-imposed break was recently broken by a spontaneous, unrehearsed concert in Arlington, Virginia. It's all courtesy of the Arlington Philharmonic. VOA's Philip Alexio talks to its conductor and visits a live orchestra concert where members perform before an outdoor audience. You'll hear from the conductor and his musicians in their own words. My name's Scott Wood, and I'm an orchestra conductor. So I've got a concert today with an orchestra called the Arlington Philharmonic. Um, This is going to be a really interesting project because we are basically performing for an audience, almost rehearsing it and performing it almost at the same time because of COVID restrictions. So we don't really have... We haven't had a place to rehearse indoors, but we really wanted to reconnect with audiences and, and put on a concert. So we're going to have a short rehearsal Showtime. followed immediately by the concert. And I'm intending to tell the audience that this is the way that we're presenting this one. I think they'll kind of appreciate how spontaneous it is and how quickly the orchestra can actually learn music. You know, we have about an hour to rehearse it and then we perform. So. The, the pressure's on. Okay. Here we go. back out you know we've come to the concerts in the past before covid and you know i had to go through last year with none of this so it was great to get a chance to come out again it's so nice uh, to 
roll right down here in the neighborhood. We love Scott's personality. I thought they were very talented, especially knowing that um, you know they just had a short rehearsal right before the concert. Listening to VOA Asia, like us on Facebook, VOA Asia. Follow us on Twitter at VOA Asia. You can find us on Instagram and YouTube and at VOANews.com. Thanks for joining us and thanks to our service chief, Diane Gao. Our VOA Asia team includes Keith Lane, Chris Casquejo, and Jim Stevenson. I'm Jessica Stone in Washington. Enjoy the day.